Welcome in listeners to a very fun and exciting episode of Whisper in the Wings. Uh, I have been long waiting to bring this to you. This is an incredible, incredible show to be sharing with you. And I'm so excited to have these guests with us today. Joining us today are some of the members involved with the um, production serials, which is uh, here and there a monthly event that takes place over at the Flea. Joining us, we have the producer and host, Elizabeth Spindler, Michael Ortiz, as well as the producer, Kristen Seemel, and a performer and captain, Keith Weiss. Everyone, good morning. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings. I feel like the Tigra needs to play. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, once again, you're all part of this great show called Serials, which is incredible. The next cycle is taking place October 27th through the 29th. And then the one that I'm going to, which is November 3rd through the 5th, all of this happens at the Flea Theater, which is an incredible venue in an incredible neighborhood here in New York. Um, I was put onto it by my friend uh, Keith Weiss right there, who's a performer and a captain. And this is like nothing I've ever seen in the best way and it's so addicting um so why don't i have uh one of you start to tell us a bit about the show um michael or elizabeth one of you want to tell us a bit about it um sure yeah i'll i'm happy to hop in here so serials is a late night episodic short play competition series so the way that it goes we have five teams uh, of actors that are paired with each team is paired with a writer and a director and five short plays go in the audience votes on their favorites. And then the top three come out and the next week return with a new episode, a new installment of the same storyline. So it is episodic theater, serialized theater, hence the name serials and it's super fun very uh you know low budget campy late night experimental um and i i dare to say beer infused we give you a free beer with your ticket which is always uh, always a great time you know and it really is absolutely fun and what's exciting for me is you know you, you see these five i've never seen something i don't like which I want to say first off, but you see these five shows, you only get to pick three. And then the anticipation of waiting to see who made it through the show you pick, make it through the next one, because then you're like, I'm not going to go. I got to make sure I go see the next episode. I mean, that, that is the best thing is you're like, I have to go see how this, how this keeps going, how this uh, continues. So how did you guys come up with the idea of the show? Uh, Elizabeth, how about I ask you about that? Well, the show has been running a long time. It's uh, originated with, um, Kristen, can you remind me the founders of Serials, the forefathers? Oh dear, here we go. Um, <laughs> yes, so it's Dominic Spillane and, oh my, morning time. Steve uh, Stout. Steve Stout, yes. They yeah. came up with it um, over a decade ago now. So wow. we've been running for 10 years. So uh, yeah, Uh and uh, and it was meant as a way for the resident company at the Flea at the time, the Bats, to have a sort of a regular uh, space in which to make new plays and to meet playwrights and be working with new directors and be making, making, making. And that's a little bit what it does for us, too, um, since we are sort of the company that came out of the Bats, um, the Flood Collective. So. so I wish we could take the credit, but we did not come up with the form, but we continue its legacy. Yeah, humble, uh, humble facilitators, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we are doing it in a new form that's outside of being under the flea. So now that we're our own company of the fled, we used to be resident actors. People who are listening don't know the, the history there. We used to be resident actors called the bats with the flea. Um, during the pandemic, we broke off from them and came out and organized as our own company, the Flood Collective. Um, and so we produce it under our, our own name. Like we own the show now, it feels like. Um, so that's the exciting part of this year right now with serials. Oh, that's so cool. So th- th- I take it this is the first year then that 
this is under the flood. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. How exciting. Well, I, I mean, I can see the, the, the playwriting, like the, the new playwriting, like trying to get picked up aspect because there've been several pieces I've seen that I'm like, Oh my gosh, I had developed this. I want to, I want to see the full work of this. You know, it, it has very much almost that TV episode part, like format to it, but yeah. it definitely could be like, there have been two or three shows that I've seen that I'm like, no, this one, I want to see the full story, the wedding dress show, for instance, that play. I wanted the whole bit <laughs> of that. That killed me when that no longer went on. And cause I was like, I need to know, I have so many questions, you know? Yeah, um, the competition is fierce. You know, sometimes we have some really, really great stories that get cut short, you know, early, early in their lifespan, but there actually have been serials in the past that have gone on to become full-length productions. A couple that um, come to mind that were created by a serials alum are um, Kapawi Gogo, which was, oh my gosh, I mean, that that serial went on for so long. That Kapawi Gogo was like a three-hour-long show, um, which is like a big homage to like anime and like comic books. It's hilarious. It's like got all of these like massive like props and like wigs and stuff. Super fun. And then Locked Up Bitches, which was a, uh, yeah, a parody of Orange is the New Black, but told through the perspective of like cats and dogs um and Keith was actually in a production uh, of that so he can speak to that a little more yeah uh the best way to describe it is like a a hip-hop feminist retelling of Orange is the New Black through uh the perspective of a prison war between cats and dogs I think that was <laughs> a log line for it and um yeah, it was really one of the most, like, in the spirit of, it was the closest production that I felt was in the spirit of, of serials, um, being that it was so uh, downtown theater in, in the sense that, like, we, we made it on a shoestring budget, and some we had some original songs in it, and it was very much just one of those high octane, high energy pieces of theater that will continue to change the world one production at a time. I don't know if <laughs> wise words, philosophical words. <laughs> well, well, bringing both Keith and uh, Kristen into this, uh, and I'm going to start with Kristen on this question. What was it like developing? Uh, the show, particularly now that you are the fled, what was it like continuing to develop the show? Yeah, that's actually a super interesting identity thing, right? So we we come back with the show, and we um, we were trying to find a way to make it a li live again, and the result was to kind of shed a lot of what had existed because the show started as an opportunity for a group of artists to be regularly making together, right? And that and we wanted to keep that sort of central energy an idea, but um, shed any of the, there were, there were over the years that had gained a lot of pressure around like creating a certain caliber of work or like um, meeting, you know, and, and not to say that those aren't important, right? It's like good to do good work. But I just think that like often the a producing um, force or producing pressure to do that doesn't, doesn't necessarily lead to that. Like what's fun about it is, um, a freedom to be like, I'm going to make a play that isn't a play, or I'm not going to make a play. I'm going to make an anti-play. I'm going to do something that like nothing like I've ever written as a playwright. And I'm going to give it to some actors and the energy in the room in rehearsals and in performances, like this is impossible. Let's just do it. And people just jump, you know, jump in and make and make and make. Cause we do it all in, you know, six hours. So there's six hours of rehearsal before you see it, before an audience sees it on stage, Wow, uh, which is a lot, which is not a lot for what, what we managed to get up there. So that that's, if that kind of gives you a, a taste for what what's new and what's different. Um, we also obviously with uh, in alignment with the Flood Collective, we've moved the focus to writers and um, directors and artists who are, uh, who are artists of color, 
um, and who are and and our LGBTQIA loves are are getting involved. We're trying to centralize their voices, which is one of the themes of the collective as a, our new company. Um, so Cyril's is trying is aligned with that with those same sort of objects, which also I think is maybe why it's more downtown than it's ever been before. Right. Um, not to say that that was not in the old version, but by centralizing those voices, you you get people who are on the who are sometimes on the outside of what theater that's being made and are being encouraged to bring that outside in. So, yeah, I think that you know during the pandemic, so much of off off Broadway theater shuttered. A lot of the like emerging artist incubators that existed, like like the Lark and these writers retreats that folks can just go to didn't have the funding to sustain themselves. And with this opportunity that we have through this reparative grant with the flea to sort of build our community as autonomously as we wanted to, we have a real chance to stand up for the, the voices of folks that craved those opportunities and need a place to go. And we're constantly like, bringing folks in I think there's somebody who's joining this week who actually took over my lease last month and I like saw them and I was like oh honey you're coming you know most of this <laughs> company's gay people at this point like we really are there's I think this is one of those stages um in community where we are we're expanding our voices but at the same time we're we're really leaning into our identity in a way we've never been able to before and it's it's the first time that like we are really engaging in art about like our collective liberation and you see that in, in so many of the new works that we do in serials whether it's like missionary person or or the wedding dress play or like all of these identities um, coming together to really create art that the world has never been able to see before because people haven't been given the chance to make it as Kristen was saying. I, I, now you, you both mentioned something that, that <clears throat> triggered two thoughts to my, my, well, a few thoughts to my mind. So the, the cycle runs Thursday through Saturday, right? Um, okay, so when do you typically announce the winners? We announce that every Saturday night at Toad Hall, which is a bar that we've chosen to go to. Um, so we quickly, when we wrap up, we have to get out within 11 p.m. at 11 p.m. So everybody is doing multiple different tasks to shut down the flea. Um, and then Cody, who is our designer, he runs our lights, he runs our sound, he does our tech. He's our, um, we love Cody. We can we do it. He counts the votes. And then, um, yeah, they get announced that night so that the people there know who's moving on. And then through social media, media we communicate who's moving on as well. So then following up with that, how long do these winners have to prepare typically and then how long do they have to rehearse? Like, is there a set like you can only rehearse this long? Yeah, so it's kind of like a, it's like a real lightning round thing when we when we do serials. I like to tell everybody that the process is, it's quick and dirty, you know? Um, so uh, especially when we go between week one and week two, because the writers who are um, writing for the next week will either find out Saturday night at the bar or the next morning on Sunday. And then they essentially have like under 48 hours to write a new script because the teams will go into like a, an hour long Zoom initial read through on Monday. And then on Tuesday, they just dive right in. So as Kristen was mentioning, the teams really don't have a lot of time to rehearse. They have two and a half hours of in-person rehearsal on Tuesday, two and a half hours on Wednesday. And then each team gets a 30 minute tech on Thursday. And then we put the show up. So we have the, the space uh, in the Siggy for the entire day. 
and then our teams rehearse at different times throughout the day. Uh, just and, and it's based on the actor's availability. So we really aim to make it as accessible for our company as possible. If you know that you want to be a part of serials, you don't have to audition. All you do is just like sign up and then you pick a time slot that works best for you. So I'm sure if you've seen a performance of serials, you've heard we announce all of our different team names before the shows and they're usually pretty like time-centric names like we have the breakfast babies the nooners the afternoon delits dinner party and the midnight snacks and it's all because they rehearse at those different times throughout the day so the team names are reflective of when the teams are rehearsing wow and a compliment to all of the performers you would never know that it's turned around this quickly. They do look so well put together. So hats off to everyone involved with this. Well, thank you. And with the with the tech, like Elizabeth was saying, I mean, Cody, our designer is, dude is a freaking wizard because he gets mm-hmm. into the building on Thursday at like 9.30 or 10 a.m. And he does all the pre-programming before tech starts at one o'clock. And then tech is done by four. So that is all done within the course of like one morning and afternoon. Let me ask the entire group this question, uh, and I'm not sure uh, if if there is an answer, but uh, is there a message or a thought that you're hoping the audiences will take away when they leave? And I'll start with Elizabeth on this one. A message or a thought. I feel like um, the message or the thought is like our community is wide and um, it is so welcoming and it is so exciting to be a part of that it spreads throughout everybody who is engaged with it, whether your audience or your writer or a director or an actor in it. And um, like multiple times I've met people at on a Saturday night waiting to hear the results. And then just like one conversation opens them up to how much is behind the work that we've done and how much heart we've put into where to make it where we're at right now and a place that we can go back to the fleet and produce in this space that has been um heavy on people's hearts for a long time. And just the idea that we can transform that space and make it make it open, make it welcoming, um, and that our community is one that is, you know, you just have to ask or you just have to engage and that you'll be a you'll be a part of it and you'll be welcomed with open arms. I think that's something that Serials does. I couldn't agree more. Um, Michael, how about you? Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, I, I really like to think that serials showcases to, um, to New York, that there is just so much amazing work out there that goes beyond the scope of what we typically think that theater is, you know, when you think of New York theater, you often think of, Broadway and a lot of theater that is that is very commercial and don't get me wrong that's not necessarily an awful thing you know there's a there's there's definitely a place for it right but there is just so much like wild cool experimental stuff that's happening in the downtown scene that's being created by so many talented artists who aren't regularly given those opportunities or just don't have that platform yet are like emerging right and you get to see so much of that showcased in this space and it's different every week so you really get to you know, I, I like to think that folks who frequent serials are getting a really great sneak peek uh, into what the, the future of New York theater is going to look like, because these people are going to be the big names that are like running our industry in the next five, 10 years. I, I fully believe that. Um, so, you know, it's kind of I, I, I think of serials as like the best the best show you've never heard of. Um for folks and then when people do come they get so invested in it and they get drawn back and it's it's really just because of the the amazing people who we've been able to bring in so i hope that people can come to serials and discover their new favorite playwright their new favorite director their new favorite 
actor who they're going to see flourish uh, in their career here in New York. Um, Kristen, how about you? What, what do you think the message or, or the thought is that you want audiences to take away? Yeah, I mean, the theme to me and the reason I the reason I'm involved with it still and, and got back involved when, when we did is um, I, I think it's some of the most courageous theater, right? There's like this intense bravery that it takes to do theater this way, this quickly uh, and, and get up in front of an audience. And also, I mean, that's to me, that's why I, I go to see any theater at all is to see um, courage right stories of courage but also in the in the action itself it's a courageous thing to stand up in front of a whole bunch of people basically make it and rotate and like tell people this is you know this is this is what I believe in these are the things so it's um I I think that if there's any theme that I would take away from from every week of serials it's that courage that that energy to um to share stories and to expose what uh you know one of our writers right now um Chloe Hyatt um, almost has this project where she goes into history and finds uh, the people that are not, that don't have a history written about them. And then she writes Ooh. plays about those people. So in Madame Couchet, she's uh, looking at these sex workers during the terror in Paris and uh, revealing their stories and, and we're getting a chance. And I think that's a super brave, super powerful action. Um, and so that's that's why I do serials. That's That's what I'm into. I did not know that. That's incredible. And then rounding it out, um, Keith, as a performer and a captain, what is the message and thought you're hoping that um, audiences take away? The first thing we ask audiences when they come in is, are you ready? That's something we've been saying for 40 years. Can I curse on this podcast? Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, it's done. <laughs> um, and in that sense it's asking the audience are you ready um i think every actor on thursday is asking themselves are you ready do you know your lines do you know you're blocking do you know what you need to move on and off stage and in my mind it's serials has always been to me about embracing the challenge pushing against the obstacle that you're given in those six hours of work can you can you actually make somebody believe that they are lost in a, a theater and a landscape that you know they would want to pay four hundred dollars on Broadway to go see. Are they going to have the same experience? And generally, the answer is always yes. Still, because all of these folks who are coming, it's always about embracing the challenge. My parents are are boomers, and you know they're not used to seeing plays like like missionary person about like the first non-binary superhero uh working with their arch nemesis professor strap on to fight captain gaslight this is new territory for them <laughs> or like seeing a entire serial about like a group of people playing dungeons and dragons get lost in a black hole or whatever or like seeing a, a six-year-old learn conflict mediation while being neglected in a lesbian bar's closet. Like these are brand new stories that we have to continue to like push against and in investigate in ourselves. Can we make space for them? And like, I'm also, you know, a, a psychopath performer who has been performing in two of these serials each week since August. And I think I do it to see if I can meet the challenge myself and see what, see how durable I am. And in many ways, it, it keeps my muscles alive. It keeps me awake and it keeps me activated. And as a, a leader, uh, you know, Kristen, Elizabeth and I are all on leadership in, in the Flood Collective. It, it keeps me on the ground floor in a lot of ways where like I can balance my life as an arts leader and as, as a as an artist and I think that dichotomy has really given me a new life as as a creative person and I think that cereals is the best thing to ever happen to anybody ever it's funny, Keith, that you say the the pushing yourself, like, can I do this? Can I go one step further in this performance? Because um, earlier on, Andrea, I don't know if you saw those shows by then, but we were on script for the host bits. 
like we had paper in our hands and because we had seen past hosts have a clipboard in their hands, you know, have something to know what the play is that's coming next. Um, but Kristen proposed, what if, what if you guys aren't on scripts and what if you're memorized? And uh, we're like, okay, challenge accepted. Let's try it. And then we got there and it was kind of like, okay, we're, you know, throwing caution to the wind and we're just going to do it. And yeah. it was scary, but now that's just how we run the show. We learn our host scripts every Thursday afternoon uh -huh. <laughs> during tech. We write it Thursday morning and we learn it Thursday afternoon. <laughs> I say wow. we, Elizabeth, power power to Elizabeth. She writes the majority of those host scripts and she kills it. Get it. My final question on this first part of the interview I want to ask is, um, who do you have of access to the show? And I'm going to start with Kristen on this one. But we hope, you know, it's part of our mission as a company to have the broadest possible access. That's why we've started this, uh, well, one of the reasons why we've started this uh, live stream element that we're selling tickets to. We want to reach the biggest possible audience. Um, and part of that is because the theater going audience is uh, is dying. It's, it's aging. Um, and it's not necessarily who this is pitched at not that we wouldn't want to include them you know all please everyone come we love we love as much as many different kinds of people in the space as possible um but the the hope is to reach uh to reach a younger bandwidth of people who maybe never thought of theater as something they'd be into that's why you see elements of like TV, but TV can't be risky, whereas theater can because it's low budget and it's smaller, right? So this is like, what if TV was super risky and, and actually like told the stories that are like right next to you on the pavement? Um, uh, yeah, is that is that an answer? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And huge shout out to the live stream. I can't tell you how many times I've been dashing from one show to get to cereals and the traffic is awful and I've had the access to the live stream. So I'm sitting in my lift and I'm like, oh good, I'm not missing anything. <laughs> That's perfect. Andrew, you are doing exactly why we started this live stream. So you're doing yes. good. Although I will say it is no substitute for being there in person at all. You just, you don't feel the same connection or the same laughter or anything. And of course your lift driver looks at you weird when you're in the back seat and I'm like, ah, you know, but. It, it, at least this way you aren't missing things and you show up and you're like, how many did I miss? Oh, this is right at intermission. Damn, you know, and no, you feel connected. I think in terms, yeah, in terms of um, accessibility, I think we've also tried to um, make our Thursdays as accessible as possible by giving some discount codes here and there. We've tested that out, um, I think on one or two cycles. And I, it's something that we want to continue to do to lower ticket prices to get people who may not have that money to spend right now involved and be able to still see the show. Um, so I think that is a way we've tried to be accessible and we're going to push ourselves to do further research on that internally, I believe. And to be clear, it's already a really cheap show by theater metrics. Yeah. We're, we're, we're very interested in this under $20 price point. So um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's before um, it's gone. So yeah. And to create even more accessibility, we also have a, a Patreon that we run as well that people can subscribe to that we really want to utilize to help get people to continue to support us, but also to like get them to come see the show at an affordable price point, right? You know, like um, tickets for one night of a ticket for one night of cereals is $17. I think it comes out to like 20 after. Um, after fees on Eventbrite, you know, but so essentially $20 plus a free beer, but then for Patreon subscribers who will subscribe at, you know, we have, we have a bunch of different levels. Subscriptions start as low as like $2, which is just, if you want to, we, we kind of call that one, like our tip jar, you know, if you want to just like put that money in there, that helps to go back to the artists because all of that money is going back to the artists. Um, but you know, if you subscribe at like the $20 level or the $25 level, you get one ticket to every weekend of serials. So you essentially get to still support us in a way that is continuous and like sustainable while also kind of saving yourself half the money. So, you know, we really try to offer a lot of ways for people to get 
bang for your buck. Um, I think in the sort of going back to um, what I mentioned earlier about how I, I really think that we're making it a point to really try to foster this next generation of artists in New York. I think we're also trying to foster the next generation of audiences as yeah. well. Um, you know, and audiences who can, you know, we want to create audiences who have, uh, you know, who aren't locked in, I guess, to one very rigid expectation of what theater is supposed to look like. So now you can come see theater that is very experimental at a very affordable price point. now i want to give the listeners a chance to get to know all of you a little bit more and i want to start by asking what are some of your favorite shows composers or playwrights um or maybe in the same group of those things that have inspired you and keith why don't i kick it off to you first since you're our performer on this uh on this group here thank you Stephen Adley Geergis is the sort of bard for me that made theater feel like it didn't need to be, as Michael said, some audiences see some one rigid thing. Uh, he writes about like the humanity of of people who don't match the class brackets of the folks who go see theater commercially, uh, and he has specifically like our lady of 121st street the motherfucker with the hat um halfway bitches go straight to heaven all of these amazing pieces of theater primarily about people of color as it so happens uh tend to actually be more connected to the world and and the masses uh as it were i love uh ming pfeiffer She's one of my favorite playwrights. She wrote a play called Usual Girls a few years back that uh, I think changed what uh, intimate theater meant uh, to me and sort of re reimagined the coming of age story from the perspective of an, an Asian American woman from like six until 30 years old. And uh, Midori Francis, who was in that, is one of my favorite actresses. Uh, Franny McDormand. I mean, that's, she's just a baddie. She's a runner. She's a track star. Um, and I think Stephen Sondheim um, is my, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the bottom bitch for Stephen Sondheim. I'm, I'm going to keep everybody in line and make sure <laughs> that they go see everything that Stephen Sondheim does and knows about it. And the way that he is being revered after his death and leaving that legacy and, even before his death is being reimagined in in the theater as just not one genre as just not one thing um i think i think it's in many ways the 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 second coming that's going to emerge a new uh group of artists to to constantly reinvent the wheel elizabeth how about you me okay um well, I did just see Kate Berlant's new show that is a one woman show. And that was super inspiring, made me feel like, OK, I can tell my story and it can be theatrical and fun and real and engaging. And I just love when when people are telling their own story, like a Strange Loop is another piece of theater that was amazing that I recently saw that um, just gave me hope in people pursuing the, their own story as a way as a theatrical experience a little bit more and um I think that's the theater that I'm really excited about right now um in terms of like history and my theater experience I love physical theater I love gestural work and um Grotowski inspired work um, so I've done a lot of movement-based projects as well and devising. That's something that I love. And I think that's also just kind of the root of 
who I am as an artist is I like to see things that haven't been done before, which so come so frequently comes out of devising and working purely with text. And um, I think that's also what's excited me about seeing these these recent shows that I've been going to. Yeah. Michael, how about you? Yeah. Um, oh gosh, let me think. So the the first playwright who immediately comes to mind that I just love, love, love um their work is Will Eno. I'm a I'm a huge Will Eno fan. Um his I I, I think that I, I've always been drawn to a lot of film and television since I was a kid, especially like film and television that's very like weird or off kilter has like sort of a life in uh like a slightly sci-fi or horror based kind of universe and you know I I I also had like a very preconceived notion of what theater was like when I first started doing theater and will you know really remind me that like theater can be weird as hell and it's often better for it um tragedy a tragedy is one of my favorite plays of all time and I don't know if anybody is ever going to understand that love that I have of it but I love it and it's 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 about nothing you know it's a it's a play about like five news reporters who are just like going absolutely ape shit during a broadcast where they're broadcasting this like endless night that they think might be the end of the world but by the end of it we don't know if that's actually what's happening or if this is just like a normal tuesday night on this news network um so i i really really just like love 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 that and honestly like a lot of i i i'm i'm gonna be that guy who's kind of like corny in this way but like some of my favorite playwrights honestly are like some of our contemporaries like some of our peers right now who we're working with on serials you know like um Kristen mentioned Chloe Hyatt who um is currently writing Madame Couchet's um Hot Tarts and the French Revolution we've known each other for about five years now and she's like one of my favorite collaborators on the planet we both have like a real um a real love of like genre pieces which I think always draws us together we and she just has this like great off-kilter sense of humor Meg Rosen sweet absolutely who wrote Missionary Person another like incredible playwright who I only just met like a year ago and I less than a year ago I think uh, we met in like April oh my god and I just want to like commission her to write everything you know so so many like contemporaries who were who were just watching right now I saw like English by Sanaz Tusi back when it was Atlantic at Atlantic and I thought that was one of the best shows that I've seen in years you know and it just made me want to want to follow her um yeah so I, I I'm very I'm very much about like new work that kind of breaks down the canon so I, I I'm actually really inspired by a lot of the the new work that I'm seeing right now um yeah Kristen how about you I mean I'm just gonna mostly echo what Michael said I you know as a as a teenager growing up in the Pacific Northwest I was reading all these books about the off-off Broadway and the deep downtown New York theater scene and thinking someday maybe I'll be doing that kind of work and um and this is literally what we're doing. Like I, that's kind of the dream is, has been achieved because that's who, those are the people, those are the voices for this generation that I'm sort of aligned with. But that's what, those are the people that work on serials. That's the people that come in and that I, that I meet and then we, we work together. You know, I, I, uh, there's a big stand for Carol Churchill and Susan Laurie Parks. Uh, those are like classic playwrights that I still adore to this day. Love, love, love. Um, but it's like that 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 theater that like describes the space around or the language that describes the space around the event that's happening. And I see that on our stage. I see that kind of theater being made um, with us. I think of like Kate Volk or like anyone from the Wooster group, any of these old, like what you think about when you think about the off-off Broadway movement. And they were, they loomed so large in my head. And now I realize that like, we're making it, like we're doing that, like that, that someday there may be some teenager who, you know, is reading about us, uh, who then becomes inspired and comes and, and, and comes to renew that same kind of independent spirit. 
so um yeah i guess i'm i those are the people i those are the luminaries i look up to most although also a big fan of uh stephen sondheim so let me ask the group and, and anyone can jump in on this but has anyone seen any um great theater lately that they would recommend to our listeners um i just last week saw um one of the preview performances of where the mountain meets the sea at mtc and i didn't know anything about it i like went into it with like little little to no expectations not i i i say that i feel like that sounds like i'm like oh this is gonna be a bad show i didn't think that i just i didn't know anything about it and we were like sitting in the back row and then one of the like ushers came up to us and they were like, hey, we'd like to move you to the front because, you know, they want as many people in the front as possible. So we were like dead center in the front row. And I was just like, I mean, it was beautiful. Like such a such a gorgeous story about, you know, uh, a son and a, and a father trying to like connect posthumously and seeing like how many parallels there are in their journey. And, you know, it's... um it's a story about you know queer folks about haitian culture and its place in american culture and it was just it was like it was beautiful i would i would recommend it to everyone um yeah also just saw a reading of a new play in development by one of one of our peers who's writing for serials this month jen jarnigan called demolition extreme that oh man what an awesome time and elizabeth was actually a, a part of that reading and it was great it was and and keith was too he read stage directions it was this just like awesome like femme trans non-binary almost like post-apocalyptic kind of deal like very very mad max and like a demolition derby and um i, I like i it, it, there's so much to it that i can't explain without like sort of given up the ghost so I don't I, I don't want to but like it was like whoa was it such a fun time and I was only one of like five people in that audience so I feel very very privileged to have gotten to see a little sneak peek of that before the rest of the world gets to. I'd also pimp for Michael was in a reading last week as well um, the reading for uh a play that came out of serials that was amazing and uh we finally got an ending to it in the reading and i love it and i'm so glad it's being developed and see where it goes it's, it's called uh vanna white and pat sajak brush against each other and they realize they've been in love this whole time very long title um but it's this beautiful serial that musical serial uh that now finally is becoming a full-length play so um by by marina templesman uh, very very exciting piece of theater uh also i saw peerless by g hay park which is uh uh the greatest piece of one of the greatest pieces of writing i've read in the last five to ten years i uh, was so excited to go to primary stages to pick it up and even got a comp ticket which was amazing um and uh and i love the production i mean i you know, I can quibble. When you love a play that much, you can quibble with any production. But um, Margot Bordelon and the team there, including some former bats, totally kicked it. Um, it was it was amazing. It was everything I had hoped for. It's a super tight, you know, uh, seventy five minutes of theater, and you'll just get blown away by it. And and it and I thought about it for like I saw it what like two weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. So. We just had the two leads, Sasha and Shannon, on. Uh, that episode went live yesterday. And they were so much fun to talk to. And that show really was incredible. One of the theaters I work for, MCC, just put out this new musical, Only Gold, that has been like being worked on for 12 years. Uh, by, and it's choreographed and directed by Andy Blankenbuehler. And uh, some of the performances that you see in there um are, are things that like i'm gonna take with me for the rest of my life specifically um there is this one performer who plays um a queen and she's um about like a, a bit of like a middle-aged to older woman who uh used to be a principal dancer with alvin ailey and she's uh the way she, she moves on stage is is not like anything I've ever seen and her name I believe is like Corinne Plantitit um and she uh really just sort of takes the 
bourgeois out of royalty and and we're left to see like her humanity in a loveless marriage and the song is sung around her while she just dances and i i haven't quite seen anything like it and um the play the musical itself is a massive experiment in using dance as the vessel for storytelling in a musical uh which when it happens often reads as a review or whatever but the fact that this is like an original story uh, as well i think really tailors to an audience that's hankering for new forms of musical theater um yeah thought it was super lit and um like i said i just saw kate berlant's one woman show but it did close but I hope that she is encouraged to do more of that because it was fabulous. It, it, she changed forms. There was music, lights, projection. It was beautiful. Uh, and I'm really eager to see Melissa Etheridge's one woman show and New World Stages. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm just in like a, a one woman show kind of mood. Like I want to see the lady up there doing her thing, telling her story. down i'd like to ask my favorite question to you all which is what is your favorite theater memory and i would like to start with let's start with michael on this one. Oh gosh i was hoping you wouldn't <laughs> i i don't know everybody else <laughs> on the screen was just like doing the ah uh, look around and you were the one person like looking at the screen i'm like i think he might be ready <laughs> no i i promise you i'm not i just don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. If there is something that like really sticks out right now, I mean, like as as I guess like a collective group of memories, like all of my favorite times that have been associated with, with my, you know, all, all my favorite memories that have been associated with my time working in theater have been like after the show. Um, I'm very much um, like a fan of community building and like my like one of my favorite things about doing a show almost is like going to the bar after the show <laughs> just to like get a drink and like chat with folks about things that like aren't related to theater um, in a way and I, I, I feel like that's I feel like that's almost counterintuitive to like the idea of a of a favorite theater memory but I think that it, it, it's a great reminder to me of sort of like the effect that theater has like the real community building element there like you know I you know I, I went to undergrad at University of Florida and I loved it and but you know at, at UF just as at most theater institutions like universities conservatories you're really taught to like network right and to see yourself as like like a product for sale um when you're when you're working at, as an artist and those times that i have tried to network in that capacity have felt so like inauthentic and just like disingenuous and they never led to anything if anything they led to like bridges being burned for me and you know all of those memories of like going to the bar after a show and like really getting to just connect and have like a real conversation with people remind me that like it's not networking it's community building and like those conversations that i've had at the bar afterwards are what have led to more work for me and what have led to me finding work for other peers of mine you know and so i, I i'm very much it, it's it's weird to say that I, I that my favorite memory of working in theater is what happens after the show is over but that's that's my that's my answer that i would give right now <laughs> that's a great one elizabeth how about you um, I have just like goofy memories from my time doing community theater growing up Yeah, <laughs> that, that make me laugh. Like one time I was, um, 
in a tap number with a bunch of other girls in this production of Tom Sawyer. I don't know why we put a tap number in Tom Sawyer, but we did. Call it river dancing. Um, and we decided ah, that ah. the tattoos were so stinky that we were like anything, baby powder, put them in the tap shoes. Like they they were just stinking up like the whole dressing room. And so we're putting on our taps to go do our number and it's down, we're all as far down stage as you can possibly be. And we start tapping and just plumes of baby powder fill the whole stage and the first row and people start coughing and we're like, holy shit. We couldn't stop laughing. Like we were totally busting up and trying to get through this dance. <laughs> um, one other memory I'll share is there was, um, I did a Wizard of Oz once and I got to be Dorothy and we had painted the stage with this like illuminating yellow paint that glows under black light for the yellow brick road. And <laughs> I had the dog, the Toto dog, and she could not wait. She had to do her business while we were p-diddling down the, the yellow brick road. She just took a little ploop, little ploop there. And it was illuminated under the black light for everyone to see. Uh, and I had to dance around it because we had music to cover before we could exit. So that, that was just another funny little moment of why I love live theater and when it happens to me and when it bullies me. Kristen, kicking it to you. I mean, I can't follow up either of those two. Uh, <laughs> I have so many stories of also doing community theater growing up. Uh, uh but not as good as the poop story though, or the tap dancing um, uh, but to highlight what michael said and, and what elizabeth is talking about which is like i i mean there's i have so many memories whatever i it's about making a life i think right it's about uh finding a place like like my life is the memory like hopefully every great moment in my life is attached to, to theater which i think is is true of me for me um it, i mean it's a place and a community where you belong where you do impossible things together and deal with dogs <laughs> um uh yeah i uh i mean whatever all of my stories pale in comparison to all of those all of my my memories that are my one-time memories but i do I do find it to be a place that like holds me, right? That um, where I don't feel alone and I don't feel like I'm falling through life. Instead, I'm I'm being held with a group and we're we're traveling together on this this crazy planet. So um, yeah, that's my memory of theater. That's what I'll think about when I'm dying. Rounding it out, Mr. Keith Weiss, take us home, Mr. Cortez. <laughs> Okay, so when you asked this question, I thought of like what I saw as an audience member that inspired me to go into theater, but I'm now understanding that that is not the question. It's more about a memory of participation, but I think they're intrinsically linked. I saw the producers on Broadway when I was eight years old, and from everything I've learned in my conservative Jewish upbringing about the Holocaust and the gravity of genocide. To see that completely bastardized and sort of made to, to be light and joyful and absolutely hysterical, seeing like tap dancers merge into like that symbol on stage, I don't think, I think it gave me a real moment of, of Eureka because I understood exactly what was happening because I had all the context for it that was in my upbringing. And I think I have to thank my parents for the rest of my life because I think in that moment I was like, I can create any art I, I want to make as long as it's built with with love and, and care. And I, I think I've, in from that moment on, I always wanted to be a creator that took risks and and pushed against what um I was told to be and that's why I've never really fit into a box um and why I I really found love in this community that we've built in the flood because I don't have to worry about that I have everything I need I have the opportunity to like literally 
sprained my back, like throwing myself into like a kiddie pool, but like worth it, you know, because I, I have the chance to, you know, play the villain and play a child and play the everyman. And I, I think my my greatest memory of, of, of theater will probably be with this community for the rest of my life, I'm certain, because it's I've never felt more compatible with an industry. And I think in many ways, we're building a new industry for non-union folks and for any any artist really who wants to feel like they need a place to to practice their craft without judgment and and with love and with care and i'm i'm just really excited to see what the future holds and i'm i'm grateful for the memories call me fallout boy i love that does anybody have any projects or productions um that we can plug for them that's coming down the pipeline um i'll share in addition to serials as we've mentioned which is coming up during that second weekend of our serial cycle if you have already seen serials on one of those nights and you want to see some more great theater that weekend um our really good friends over at breaking and entering theater collective are putting on their oh gosh is it the third annual i believe it's the third annual P-Fest Pre-Emerging yep. Artist Festival, um, which I'm very excited about. I'm actually sound designing the festival. So that's a that's a cool thing. And we've got some, uh, you know, FLED members who are involved in P-Fest, friends of the FLED, Emily Bubeck, for example, who um, directs for serials, directs, um, is currently directing Role for Initiative, our Dungeons and Dragons serial, um, is the artistic director of that collective and is busting ass to to make some really awesome theater happen for some really great um emerging artists and that'll be at the chain theater, theater. Mm-hmm. yeah so definitely go go check out a, a p-fest show and then go straight from there to serials that's a small world because we had both her and um oh what's his name uh josh josh Ryder on yeah uh, and there that episode's going to be airing in a few days so that's so cool yeah, really, really good friends. There's serials so. on their episode as well. Yeah. <laughs> Not one of them will have a talking to. <laughs> uh, My friend Juliana's in this version of Richard II with four people in it. And I'm just proud of her for doing that. I, I one, one other thing that actually did just um, occur to me, another sort of friend of our organization, um, Arachne Theater Company. Their artistic director, Ksenia, who has uh, performed in serials before, um, they're doing a production of the uh, the Scottish play that's happening actually at the Flea, again, around the time that we're doing serials, and it's beforehand. So if you want a full night of programming, go check out their Macbeth on the ground floor in the peat, and then go downstairs to the basement see cereals. Well, if our listeners want more information about cereals or even about the the four of you, how can they find that or how can they reach out to you? You can DM us on our Instagram, which is run by me and a few other people. Um, so that's convenience. You just find us at, at the Flood Collective on Instagram. Michael shouted that out earlier. Or you could email us personally Mine is my full name at Gmail, Elizabeth Ray Spindler at gmail.com. Or you can email the Flood Collective at gmail.com and the Flood.com. I've got I've got a website that people can use to reach out to me. It is um Michael, that is M-I-C-H-A-E-L hyphen Ortiz.com. There's a contact page on there. So you can fill out a form if you want to reach out to me um about anything and yeah, if you want to get involved with serials or, you know, if you want to learn more about it, definitely reach out to us on the socials. Well, Elizabeth, Kristen, Michael, Keith, thank you all so, so much for joining me. This has been incredible. I'm so glad we finally got you on the show to discuss this incredible, incredible production you all are doing. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much, Andrew. And hopefully everybody can come out October 27th through 29th and November 3rd through 5th to come see cereals for themselves. My guests today have been Elizabeth Spindler and Michael Ortiz, who are the producers and hosts uh, of Serials, as well as Kristen Seemel, who's also the producer, and Keith Weiss, who's a performer and captain. And the next cycle of Serials is October 27th through 29th, and then the following week, November 3rd through November 5th. And all of these performances take place at the Flea Theater. You can find tickets and more information at thefled.com. You can also um, follow them and get information about them on Instagram at the Fled Collective. And we have a host of other contact information for these individuals, as well as the Fled Collective, uh, which we'll be posting on our episode description, as well as on our social media. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Yellow Cop, Ultra Cat, Copy Cuts, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>